All right, well, good morning. Drop me. I think it's good. We'll try it. Um, John 18, uh, like Tyler said, and while you're turning there, let me just remind you quickly where we uh, are. Uh, so last week we talked about the Jewish trial of Jesus and um, how, how there were two on the night where he died. There were actually two trials, the Jewish trial and then, of course, the Roman trial. And you don't get to the Roman trial without having the, Jesus trial, uh, the Jewish trial because the, the, the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. And they hated him because he declared himself to be the Son of God. He declared himself to be God. But the Romans didn't care. The Romans don't care if they, you can call yourself God all you want. What they care about is sedition. They care about if uh, Jesus claimed to be a king, as was the accusation. And, of course, he uh, uh, confesses to being the Messiah. And so uh, they, the, we ended last week with them taking him to uh, the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders taking him to Pilate for the Roman uh, trial, which we'll look in at next week. But during the whole uh, time of the Jewish trial, while all that is happening, you've got the story of Peter um, and, and, and Peter watching from a distance. And, and this morning we're going to return to that passage, the section that we skipped over. Um, so I want you to, to turn to John 18 and we'll be in uh, 15. And we'll be starting in uh, verse 15 and then we're going to jump uh, down to verse 25 uh, as we get into it. So let me read our text this morning. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, "You also not are you? You also are not one of the man this man's disciples, are you?" He said, "I am not." Now the servants and the officers uh, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then jumping to twenty-five. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now, what we're talking about in particular this morning is uh, Jesus, uh, Peter's denial of Jesus, the story of Peter's denial. And, and, and of course... To many of us who have been in church most of our life or, or heard these stories before, it's, it's not going to be a surprise. And it, and it shouldn't have been a surprise to Peter either, right? Back in, in a few months ago in John 13, we, we looked at the section of Scripture where Jesus actually tells Peter, uh, you're going to deny me. He, he foretells this. And it's been months since we've studied it, but in Peter's case, it's only been a couple of hours, right? It's only, it was dinner from the night before when Jesus told, them, told him this. And of course, as I mentioned last week, uh, the, the details of these stories are not unimportant. Okay? They're very important. These events don't ha happen in a, a vacuum. And so as we look at the actions of Peter this morning, I'm going to use kind of three words uh, to describe Peter. In my preparation for the, the sermon, I, I heard a sermon from Alistair Begg, and, and he used these same three words. I thought it was great. And uh, I'm not reinventing the wheel. 
using the words, not the sermon, uh, but, but the, the words are great to describe kind of what, what we, how we can describe Peter and also how we can often describe ourselves um, in looking at this story. And so the first word I want to use to describe Peter this morning is the word audacity. It's the word audacity. Now, if you look up the word audacity in the dictionary, it's got two uh, meanings. There's, a, there's a, almost like a good side to audacity and a, and a bad side to audacity. And, and by way of a little history lesson this morning, I want to talk about both, right? So uh, I, I'm reading this biography by Ron Chernow about Ulysses S. Grant, and it talks about his uh, early days in the Mexican-American War, okay? And so uh, Grant is under the, the leadership of General Winfield Scott, and so they're marching to uh, Mexico City, to, to take over Santa Ana. And instead of going straight down the, the road to uh, Mexico City, which is heavily guarded, they actually decide to go by boat and loop around and uh, go upriver and then over some dangerous mountains and things like that. And, 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 and it's an audacious move, right? It's bold. It's, it's, it's d- dangerous. It takes courage. Because why? Well, he's cutting off the supply line. He's cutting off the communication. Everything that they could, could back them up, he's leaving behind in the hopes that they can circle around and avoid the danger of the road and kind of surprise Santa Ana and take Mexico City quickly and then reestablish the line. It's an audacious move. Okay, it's bold. It's courageous. But then there's a bad side. There's a downside to uh, audacity, and that, that has to do more with an arrogance. Okay? So using the same story, Santa Ana decided not to change uh, the way he defended the city and, and, and from that direction because he assumed, like everyone else who had gone that way, that malaria, yellow fever, the, the tropical diseases would take care of the, the soldiers, and he wouldn't need to worry about them. Well, unfortunately for him, this arrogance uh, failed. And, and, of course, Winfield Scott came, and, and, and they took Mexico City. And, and so there's, there's a downside to this audacity, right? There's a good side that's bold and courageous, and then there's a downside that's, that looks more like arrogance, right? And so when we... When we ask, why is Peter audacious? Why do we use this word to describe Peter? Well, if we look even from his actions of this night, okay, going back to John 13, and and Jesus foretelling Peter's denial, uh, it it was a part of the evening in which Jesus had had washed the disciples' feet, and and Jesus tells uh, of one betraying him, who's who's Judas, and then Jesus gives Judas the morsel of bread, and he goes out, and Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, which is the equivalent of basically saying, you know, so it begins. Here we go. And God is going to be glorified through me being glorified on the cross. And I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter jumps up and says, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I follow you? I'd, I'd lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Another amazing detail we get from this story is, is in Luke, which shows us, you know, as they're having the same conversation, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, you know, buddy, it's essentially, says, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." Right now, I'm not going to speak for Simon. I'm not even going to speak for any of you. But if Jesus came up to me and said, Matt, listen to me. Satan has demanded you. Uh, 
He wants to sift you like wheat. I'm not going to go, whatever, man, I would die for you. I would go to prison for you. I would be terrified. <laughs> Peter, I mean, kudos to him. He is audacious. He is courageous. He believes it. He is, he is like, no way. Bring it on. It's such sobering words. And yet Peter says, Lord, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to the grave. And then we know from the other Gospels, as they are going out uh, from the upper room to the Mount of Olives and to Gethsemane to pray, Jesus says again, uh, you will all fall away because of me tonight. And Peter says, though they all fall because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus reminds Peter again, this very night, the rooster, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. And it says, the disciples said the same thing, right? They're, they're taking Peter's lead here. And I think in his heart, I think he really means it. Truly, I, I think he really means it. And then when they get to Gethsemane, uh, Jesus asks Peter and James and John to, to come with him further into the garden to pray. And, and, and we know, of course, the disciples, they, they fell asleep. And Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, he says, so could, could you not watch with me for one hour? Wait a minute. The guy who, who, who would die for me can't even make it an hour? And then, and then he says this to Peter, and this is huge. He says, watch and pray and you may, that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. You see it. Jesus says, Peter, I know your spirit is willing to be with me. I know you would die for me. I know you want to go to prison for me and die for me, but you don't understand just how weak your mortal flesh really is. Right? You may think and even desire to follow me to the grave, but you see, if you fall into to temptation, our, our weak, our sinful flesh our decaying bodies, they're so weak. Peter, you've got to pray not to fall in temptation because your flesh is so weak. Your spirit, I know, is willing, but your flesh is weak. And especially in light of Jesus telling Peter uh, uh, of Satan's desire to sift him like wheat, Peter's boldness and audacity is quickly going to become, or, or his audacity is quickly going to become, go from bold and courageous to arrogance. And some of you might even say, well, wait a minute, just even a little bit. I mean, he meant it, right? Like, he's going to chop off Malchus's ear. True. Peter remains audacious. When he jumps up and he cuts off Malchus's ear, I, I, I would say, yeah, he's, he's bold. He's, he's courageous there. But I think when Jesus picks up Malchus's ear and, and puts it back on, I think something changes in Peter. I think, I would even say something breaks Right? I, think he, I think he realizes, wait a minute, Jesus is not down with my plan. Right? He, I would contend that he's also kind of confused. Right? He, he was so dead set on, on his plan, this, this courageous plan to, to, to fight back. He hasn't prepared through prayer. Well, what, what happens if Jesus isn't into that plan? Right? The flesh and the temptation are going to start to take over. Uh, as we will we'll see. And friends, I think this is true of us. I think this is also true of us. Many of us have what we would like to see as an audacious faith. And if we don't, we want it, we desire it. 
We want to do great things for God. We want to, to serve in the hard places. We want to give away our, our resources, our time, our energy, our, our, our money for kingdom purposes. And I think maybe even when things don't go our way, we, we, we still want to, to give and give. And we seek to do these bold and courageous, audacious things for the king. But I don't think we realize just how weak our flesh is. I don't think we realize how weak our flesh is. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear, right, in Romans 7, just how challenging this can be. It says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Right? For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. My spirit is willing in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, but the flesh is weak. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Friends, one of the, the, the aspects, the great news of the gospel is that one day this flesh, this body, this mortal decaying body, perishable, mortal frame will, will be no more. And we will be resurrected in glorious, immortal, imperishable uh, frames in which we will use to serve God for all eternity. And Peter did not recognize just how weak his mortal flesh really was. And it ultimately led to, to the second word that we will use to characterize him this night. And that word is disloyalty. Disloyalty. So after the events of Gethsemane, the disciples run. Uh, but they, they, they know that the religious leaders have taken Jesus and, and they know where they are taking him. Okay, and the other gospel writers tell us that uh, Peter followed at a distance. And so he has followed Jesus and the crowd to the complex uh, of Caiaphas' house, the, the complex of the, the high priest. And I actually have a, a pictures, some pictures for us, I think. There we go. So from that model that we saw last week, this would have been uh, what the, the high priest complex would have looked like. And so you, you've got Peter down here. Uh, there's like a courtyard here with some, some fires, that were charcoal fires. And and there's this kind of inner courtyard, upper inner courtyard, where probably Jesus would have been taken with the Sanhedrin. Uh, somewhere in there would have been Annas' house where they took him initially. Uh, and so, so that's kind of what it would have looked like. I've got one other picture of kind of what the courtyard might have looked like. You can flip it if it's there. Yeah, so kind of like this. And so there's, you know, take note of these little gateways, things like this. And th this is a, a reconstruction, but it would have looked something like this. Uh, and, and maybe Jesus would have been up here and guys down here milling around and stuff. So, so just kind of have that in your mind as, as we kind of go through this. But um, Peter would not have been able to be admitted into the house, right? He, he just wouldn't have been able to walk in there. Uh, uh, so, so it says John, John is saying the other disciple who was known by the high priest, which was almost certainly a reference to John. John doesn't reference himself by name. Uh, really, he, you know, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. He references himself in these kind of vague ways, uh, uh, but it was almost certainly him. Also, John is filling in holes, and so 
the details that he is giving are, are eyewitness details, and so they're almost certainly from him uh, who would have been in there seeing this happen. Uh, so John somehow knew or was known by Caiaphas, the family of Caiaphas, and, and the people that were surrounding the guard gate, and so he comes and, and gets Peter and, and helps him in. So after Gethsemane, it was Peter and John who followed, and, and John goes in again, and, and, and as Peter kind of waits outside, and, and John's able to bring him in. And so there's a fire going on. It's very early morning. It's cool uh, at nighttime, and everyone who's awake, some of the guards who have uh, arrested Jesus, some of the high priestly guard, they're in there. Uh, servants of the Sanhedrin that have showed up, they're in there. They're all kind of milling around, uh, warming themselves by the fire in the court- courtyard. And, and Peter and John just kind of fall in. Uh, they want to know what's going to happen to Jesus, and they're sitting there warming themselves. And now, if you read each of the Gospels, uh, they, they don't agree specifically on every last detail, or at least in the, the way that we might think they do. Uh, in terms of chronology. Part of that is how the gospel writers write, uh, the, the purpose to which they write, and some of it is, is kind of our own uh, preconceived understanding that come from somewhere, right? And so, so for instance, uh, so, some, if you read the, the writers, some of them say, well, this girl asked, and this person asked, and this person asked, and this person asked, and it seems like he's been asked more than three times, but he only denied three times, and people want to use that as contradictions. Well, Jesus never said, you'll be asked three times, and you'll be denied three times. I think there are a couple of different people that it looks more like, hey, aren't you the guy? Like, yeah, isn't that the guy? And maybe John saw it, and maybe Peter saw somebody else asking. And, and, and so it's just these details of these eyewitnesses. But it, the, the point is that he denied him three times, and that came to fruition. So uh, the gist of what is, is happening here uh, in, in terms of, of what's happening over the next few, few minutes, hours, actually, um, he walks in initially at the gate, and there's a servant girl at the gate. Takes a good look at him, maybe does a double take, and thinks, hmm, that's, that's interesting. I, I, that guy looks recognizable. And Peter goes over, starts warming himself, and another servant girl says, hey, aren't you, aren't you, weren't you one also with Jesus the Nazarene? Weren't you one of them? To which he says, I, I neither know or understand what you mean, which I think is such a funny answer. They say, I, I neither know nor understand what it is you speak of, right? It's like, I, I, don't, know, you're, I don't know what you're saying. No, I'm not. What are you talking about? And he gets up and he walks over to one of those gateways, kind of maybe a little bit out of the firelight, a little bit more reserved in the shadows a little bit. Um, and, and it says a rooster crowed, right? Which if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I should probably leave. I should probably get out of here. Uh, I'm, I'm being sifted like wheat by the devil himself, I should probably leave, but he doesn't. He stays. He wants to know what's going to happen. And I think the servant girl from the gate uh, saw him as he came in. And then uh, actually it says in Luke, it says a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light uh, of the fire and looking closely at him. I think that's our gate girl. I think he, like once he got through and then was over by the fire, I think she kept noticing. And she goes, this man was also with him. Now he's getting a little irritated. Right now he says, woman, I was not. I was not. He's getting defensive. And then it says about an hour later, and, and remember this, this whole trial time took, you know, a few, few hours here, uh, maybe three-ish hours, right? It says about an hour later. The whole stream of events uh, takes place over about three hours. And so 
more people are starting to, to wake up, come around, more bystanders come up, and, and we learn from John that a cousin of Malchus, the guy whose ear got chopped off, he comes in and he says, hey, didn't I see you in the garden? The other gospels say the bystanders say, yeah, yeah you, you've got to be one of them, you're Galilean. Essentially, your accent is giving you away, right? If I was standing here with our, our buddy Stuart, you know, uh, uh, like he's speaking with a Scottish accent, I'm speaking with a non-Scottish accent, right? You'd be, hey, like, you're not from here, are you? That's essentially what they're saying. Like, you're Galilean. Your accent's giving you away. And he says, well, it says that he begins to invoke a curse on himself and swear. He began to invoke a curse on himself. And this is not, this is not Peter dropping a cuss, okay? What he's saying is, listen, I swear to you, I do not know this man, and if I do, let me be cursed. That's what he's saying. It's like, I swear I don't know this guy. If I, if I know this guy and I'm lying about it, let me be cursed, okay? That's, that's what he is saying. And it says that while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. While he's speaking, a rooster crowed. Now, while all this is happening, right, while Peter is, is downstairs lying, trying to save his life, Jesus is upstairs telling the truth, knowing that it's going to end his life. Okay, and while all this is happening, the, the end of the trial happens. Remember, there's the three phases. The end of phase two happens. They've got their confession, but they have to wait until daylight. And they're probably taking Jesus out of the upper room uh, area into some kind of holding cell, passing through the courtyard. And you've got to think Jesus is walking through the courtyard and he hears Peter say, I don't know him, I swear I don't know him, and if I know him, let me be cursed. And it says in Luke 22 that Peter hears a rooster crow and looks over and sees Jesus. And it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, within a span of a few hours, is disloyal to Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would be. And you've got to think that, that making eye contact with Jesus in that moment, it must have broken him. It must have broken him. He probably remembered that look for the rest of his life, right? Peter was disloyal, and it cost him. And friends, I, I would, this is not so different from us. This is not so different from us. In fact, I, would, I think it's fair to say that uh, our lives could be characterized by disloyalty to Jesus, right? And, and I know that's a bold statement. I think in many ways it goes back to the... Uh, uh, audacity element, but we too, we too don't understand just how weak our flesh is, right? And, and many of us would say, no way, I'm so loyal to Jesus. I'm not talking about eternal loyalty. I'm not saying, like, are we not Christian? I'm, I'm saying in, in certain moments, in temporal, temporal loyalty, we are often disloyal to Jesus. And I think we understand this, I think we understand this, really, if we think about it. Like, you know, remember on your wedding day, if you're married in here, and you say, you know, I promise to love you and to cherish you in the good times and the bad times, sickness and health, better or worse, rich or poor, till death do us part. 
How many people got in an argument on their honeymoon? Like, you, brother, you couldn't even make it a week before you started to go after your own desires and, and, and your wants, right? You couldn't even make it a week. Our new heart, the, the, when, we're, when we're saved and we're given a new heart, the laws are written on it, and, and, and the Spirit of God is indwelling in us, and, and we are sealed for the day uh, by the adoption of the Holy Spirit, and, and He is a, a, a witness to that. But, but we have bouts of temporal disloyalty all the time. Right? James 1, uh, 14 and 15 tells us as much when it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Like, we, we want what we want. We are drawn and enticed by our desire. And James goes on to say in chapter 4 that we fight and we quarrel and we have conflict because the desire of our heart goes up against the desire of someone else's heart, and boom. You have conflict, right? And, and for Peter, he desired safety. He desired the opposite of whatever chaos would come from him being associated with Jesus that night. And I think it's also interesting in the story, if we think about it, uh, the people were saying, you were with him also, right? Remember, John is there. Like, weren't you with him there also? Like, they're not jumping in and arresting John. They're not beating John. Why is Peter so afraid? I know tension was high. I know the guard was, I mean, it was there, but they've got Jesus, and they don't really seem to be all that concerned with the disciples at this point. I think because Peter was afraid that he wasn't seeing, uh, he wasn't seeing things clearly, and it caused him to not trust God at his word, not to trust Jesus at his word, that he was going to take care of him. And, that, and that's where I think our disloyalty stems from as well. Circumstances in our life make it hard to believe the Word of God. Right? Our heart and our flesh pull us in directions that seem uh, more comfortable or away from places that might be dangerous in a, in a spiritual sense. I also want us to take note of, uh, of what I think Satan's uh, plan is. Right? Satan's plan against people is not usually long, drawn-out ordeals. Right? They're rather fast-paced trip-ups. Right? They catch people off guard when, when they're least expecting. Right? When we hear stories of, of Christian martyrs, most often they've been imprisoned. They've been you know, beaten. They've been, they are resolved. They have had time to pray. They've had time to prepare. They have had time to know that they can't escape, that they're going to stand before someone and say, no, I'm, I'm on that I'm in submission to King Jesus, right? Like, you know, whether it's the, the early church fathers, you know, more modern guys like a, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or even as, as you know, now uh, in the past few years, you know, guys being uh, killed by ISIS and things like that, but they, they recognize that, you know, resistance is futile, right? Why, why would I? Like, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm on, under his allegiance it's not, a, it's not a momentary trip up. They're resolved. Peter, this happened over a couple of hours, right? It, it, it happened over a couple of hours. And that he probably thought, listen, I, I said I wasn't with him. That's probably sufficient. I'm probably good. And then to be asked again, probably caught him off guard. And he's getting defensive, right? And to be asked a third time by, by a, a bit of a crowd, it really caught him off guard. 
He had a momentary choice in his heart, had a momentary disloyalty to Jesus. And this is often our situation. Our situation, our surroundings, our circumstances, we are often faced, not faced with physical danger, right, for our faith, but we can be faced with actions that require faith in in Christ. And in those moments, often the desires of our heart choose us rather than choose Christ. And so then where does that leave us? That leads us to our last word that we will use to define Peter, and that is recovery. Audacity, disloyalty, and recovery. After Peter's denial of of Christ, he runs out, and then you don't really hear that much about Peter anymore in the Gospels. In fact, Mark, uh, and and after Jesus uh, resurrects from the dead, the angel tells uh, the the women to go and tell the disciples, and it says this, It says, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you'll see him. Now, remember, Mark, the source, main source of Mark's gospel is Peter, right? So, so I think it's very interesting. Well, you know, there are two, Jesus was betrayed by a lot of people on the night that he was crucified, but there's two main ones that stick out, right? There's Judas and there's Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus. He was not a believer. He, he realized what he had done was sad. He was not restored. He ended his life over it. And the other is Peter. And I actually think that this telling uh, is Peter's way of saying, even though I denied our Lord, he did not abandoned me. He remembered me. I was still his. And how do we know that this is the case? Well, we actually know that from, from our book, John. And I'm not going to deep dive too much on it. We'll be preaching it in a 10, 10 or so weeks. Um, but I'll, I'll give you the, the, the short version of what happens. It says that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after his resurrection, and so he appeared to them in the upper room. Luke 24 tells us actually that he uh, revealed himself to Peter, specifically, but it doesn't say anything more than that. But during this time, at some point, uh, they're up at the Sea of Galilee, and and Peter says, I'm going fishing. The disciple says, okay, us too. And so they fish all night and catch nothing, just like the old days, right? And so as day is breaking, uh, Jesus is on the shore, and they don't know it's him, and he says, hey guys, you caught any fish? No, we haven't. And Jesus says, well, how about you cast the net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, so you'll catch something. Also, just like the old days, and it says that they they couldn't haul in the fish because it was too many. Right? And in that moment, John says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter hears it, jumps out of the boat. Uh, Every time I hear this story, this is completely unrelated, but every time I hear this story, it reminds me of that scene in Forrest Gump when he sees Lieutenant Dan and he just like runs off the boat and jumps into the water and swims back and the boat just keeps going. Like if he had just stayed on the boat, he'd have gotten there about the same time because when he crawls up on the dock, it smashes into the dock. But anyway, the other disciples come in and they bring the fish and Peter swum up and he's, he's swam up. He's up there. Jesus has a fire. And after, after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and he, and, he, and, he look, and he speaks to Peter. And actually, this, this is, I am taking this from Alistair Begg because I love the way, it, the simplicity of it. 
He goes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I, I really love Do you really, really love me? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Okay, that's good enough for me. Go take care of my sheep. Right? That, like, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you really love me? You know I love you, Lord. Do you really, really love me? Yes, you know I do. Good. Then go take care of my sheep. Go take care of my sheep. You see, think back to when Jesus, broken and, and beaten, being led across the courtyard, here's Peter. I swear to you, I don't know this man. If I do, let me be cursed. And then Jesus hears the rooster crow just like Peter does. Peter turns and looks, and Jesus looks at him. And the word used uh, when it says that he looked at Peter, it, it, it means to look intently, to consider, to think about. What do you think Jesus was thinking about in that moment? Man, I can't wait to get on my throne and judge your sorry tale. I cannot believe that you would do this to me. No. No, Jesus looked on Peter with compassion. He looked at Peter with compassion. Jesus knew very well that Peter was going to deny him. He said he would. But you see, Jesus going to the cross, going through what he went through, is not contingent upon Peter not denying Jesus. It's contingent on Jesus not denying Peter. Right? The story of Peter's denial isn't about Peter's denial at all. It's about Jesus not denying Peter. And so when Jesus is sitting there on the shore, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, of course. Jesus looks at him with compassion and says, go take care of my sheep. And Jesus took Peter's unfaithfulness and turned it into something God-glorifying. Remember back when Jesus told Peter about Satan, he said, Satan demands to sift you like wheat. Then he says, when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. And guess what? He turned. He was restored. He's the rock, right? He goes on to strengthen the brothers. Listen to the words he wrote in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Don't seek to exalt yourself through power or might or status. God alone can exalt you and will in his time for his glory. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God, the God who laid down his life for you, he cares for you. He loves you in every circumstance. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Pay attention. Pay attention. The devil wants to sift you like wheat. And your spirit might be willing, but your flesh is weak. Be careful. Be on guard. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings, suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But no, you're not alone in this. The brothers and sisters around the world, they're going through it too. You're not alone in this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus once said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. 
have overcome the world. God has called you to His eternal glory, so yes, we'll have suffering, and you'll fail God more often than you'd like. But the God of all grace, He will restore you to right relationship with Himself. He will confirm your calling by giving you His Spirit, reminding you of His great compassion for you. He will strengthen you by that Spirit to withstand the enemy. He will establish you as His child to go and tell people about our King. Friends, our lives are often characterized by disloyalty to Jesus. We don't have joy, we worry, we get angry, we have conflict, our thinking doesn't glorify God, our actions don't glorify God. But the story of Scripture is not about our denial of Jesus. It's about Jesus' not denying us despite our disloyalty. We are to pursue holiness, yes, and beat our bodies into submission to obey Christ. We are to display our loyalty and allegiance to Him by obeying His commands. Yes, yes, and amen. But this morning, I want to remind you that the same look of compassion that Jesus gave Peter on the way to the cross, across that courtyard, is the same look of compassion He gives to you when you fail. Not because we don't deserve uh, punishment, because He has been punished on our behalf. Now it's compassion, it's compassion, it's compassion. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And if you're in here this morning and you don't know Christ in this way, if you do not know this great love that he has for you, please come talk to me, talk to David, talk to one of our elders, talk to anybody that's around you. But if you are a follower of, question, uh, a follower of Christ this morning, I have a question for you. It's the same one that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you really love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Do you really, really love me? You know I love you more than anything. Go take care of my sheep. That's it. Go take care of my sheep. Let me pray. Lord, thank you again for our time. Thank you that we can rest knowing that in spite of our continued disloyalty as you are shaping us and molding us into Christ's likeness as we continue to struggle in this uh, mortal perishable flesh that you are loyal to us to the grave you have paid the penalty for our sin that you have made atonement for us that we can now dwell with you forever. And Lord, we do have these momentary moments of disloyalty where we choose our way over yours. And so, Lord, we're so grateful that your Spirit convicts us, that you have uh, used it to, to strengthen us, to confirm us, to change us, to transform us. And God, I pray that you would remind us of, of, of this. When we read the story of Peter, that it's not just about Peter's denial, it's about you not denying Peter. It's the same for us, that it's not about our denial, it's about your refusing to deny us when we are disloyal. And so, Lord, we are so grateful for that. And Lord, as we turn to the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray that we would remember this, that we would take this uh, cracker and this juice, and that we would be reminded of the sacrifice that you made, that you stayed true to us, to the grave, and that through that we can have life with you for eternity.
We're so grateful, Lord, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, our servers can come and, and, and get ready to pass out the elements, and, and um, as, we, as they do that, I do. I, I want us to take this time this morning to remember that, listen, I fail a lot. We fail a lot. We all do. Uh, but remember that because of Christ's death and resurrection, He looks at us with compassion. He, we want to move ourselves away from Christ when we fail, but He moves towards us. Right? He, he's not pushing us away when we fail. Yeah, is there discipline? Is there correction? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it says that when we're disciplined, it means that He loves us, just like any good parent. But this morning, as we take this cracker and we take this juice, I, I want us to be reminded of the reality that the, the cracker and the juice represent his great compassion and love for us. That the judgment of God against sin was poured out onto Christ so that we could be free. So the servers are going to hand it out and just hold it, and we'll, I'll come back and we'll read our passage and, and we'll take it together.